from the world famous city of New Orleans, it's the Black and Blue Report. Starring Sean Kelly, producer Dan, D-Dub in the Black and Blue Orchestra, yeah. and the Benchwarmers. Today's special guests include the New Orleans Saints, the New Orleans Pelicans, and whoever else we could get to stop by. Online and worldwide, it's the Black and Blue Report. Live, sort of, from Studio B, here's Sean Kelly. How goes it? Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Boy, do we have a busy show for you today from Studio B at the World Headquarters of the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans. I'm Sean Kelly. Daniel Salerson is in studio as well. And on tap today, we have horse racing, NBA, and NFL. Not bad to start off our draft week coverage. Of course, Dallas Stewart is a New Orleans-based trainer, and for the second straight time, he finishes second at the Kentucky Derby, and he's our guest today on the Black and Blue Report. Round two of the NBA playoffs begins tonight. Joel Myers from Fox Sports New Orleans and TNT will help us break down the second round and look back upon some of the major storylines from round one. And then we have two more teams to preview uh, in our NFL Draft Preview Series, the last two. Mitch Holtis of the Kansas City Chiefs will join us, the voice of the Chiefs will uh, share with us what he thinks that the 11 and 5 Chiefs from a season ago will do uh, this week in the draft. And then Jerry Brewer, columnist for the Seattle Times, will wrap it all up. That's team number 32 in the draft, the defending Super Bowl champion. And that's how we'll wrap this Monday before we launch ourselves into Saints Draft Week starting tomorrow, of course. So a very busy show for you from Airline Drive today. Stay with us. We'll be right back on the Black and Blue Report. There's no better time to join your Pelicans as we take flight. All-star Anthony Davis is taking his team to the next level, and the Pelicans are soaring to new heights. 2014-15 season tickets are on sale now and start at less than $300, with lower bowl options as low as $37 per game. Season ticket benefits include the best seat locations, discounts on concessions, and much more. Take flight with the Pelicans. For more info, call 525-HOOP or visit pelicans.com today. all across Louisiana with cash jackpots starting at $250,000. That's a whole lot of cash. And right now, it's a lot more fun. Lotto Lanyard. Buy a $5 single draw lotto ticket. Get a raffle entry to win up to $50,000. Lotto Lanyard. A lot more cash and a lot more fun. You must be at least 21 to purchase. Want each show delivered right to your iPhone or iPad? Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching Black and Blue Report. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. As we had talked about on Friday, it was going to be a big weekend, of course, in the sport of Kings as the Kentucky Derby ran in Louisville this past Saturday. And while there were a lot of Louisiana uh, connections, you know, race one by California Chrome, no other Louisiana-based uh, outfit or uh, entity finished better than New Orleans' own trainer, Dallas Stewart. Commanding Kerr finished second in the Kentucky Derby, and Dallas Stewart joins us here on the Black and Blue Report. Dallas, so close, man. The push down the stretch by Curve was something else. I didn't know if uh, California Chrome could hold on at that distance, uh, but he did, unfortunately, and it's another second-place fin- second finish in two straight years for you. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. It was a great afternoon, and uh, like you said, you know, we came up just a little short, but uh, our horse, he performed just beautiful. We uh, we had him down in New Orleans at the fairgrounds this winter and, uh, you know, thinking that we might have a derby horse, and that's the way we approached it. Uh, we didn't run him till the Risen Star, which is kind of like mid-February, and then we got, and then we waited and ran him in the Louisiana Derby, and uh, he ran a, a remarkable third after getting you know, clobbered at the, uh, at the start, but that happens in horse racing. And, uh, we got him back here and he ran great. You know, it's just a shame that we couldn't have won it, but, uh, you know, we just got to hang in there and then, uh, hopefully, you know, get some more opportunities in the coming years. Let's start from the start, Dallas. When, when do you know whether or not you've got someone or a horse rather that can make it to the Kentucky Derby? How does that process go? Well, we get the horses in when they're two, and then uh, we start training them, and as we get these colts in, we uh, 
we hope that we can get one that can go the distance, you know, a mile or like this colt. Uh, uh, he started running in August, and his first race was in the mud, and it didn't turn out very well. But then we go to September. He ran second going a mile at Churchill, and then we waited until November, and then we ran him a mile and a 16th. And then I think he ran second, and then he came back and he won. So he was accomplished at two year olds at as two year old at Churchill, and we thought that man, we've got a chance here. So you know, it's just like anything in sports. It's just you know evaluating where you're at, you know, evaluating your horse all the time, trying to figure out what you got. We talked to Rosie Napravnik uh, probably a couple of months ago, and now my first chance to meet with you, Dallas. It sure seems like horse racing has a stronger footing here in Louisiana than maybe most people really realize. Well, it does. You know, the, the, the surface at the fairgrounds is so so good that you can really develop a, a young horse there and get them to the major races healthy. That's the thing that, you know, you know, you guys with the Saints and, and players, you know, everybody's got to be healthy. If they're not healthy, then they can't perform. Well, it's the same goes with horses that as trainers we try to, develop them in time, a timely form where they can, you know, develop and stay healthy. And when you get into these big races, when you have a healthy horse that can run, you know, you, you might be able to get the job done. I heard you stopped by and saw Mr. Benson at the Downs uh, on Saturday. How much of that was visiting with an old friend and how much of that was getting, maybe trying to get a little of that Saints luck to go your way? <laughs> yeah, I told him, I said, I didn't want, I wanted to, I didn't want to go down to Miami and finish second. So, I, don't, I wanted to try to get the money here the way we won in Miami. And uh, you know, I just wanted to tell him I and tell him what a, what a big Saints fan I am. I mean, I wear Saints gear almost everywhere. If you look at some of the pictures during Derby Week, I got something, whether it be a hat or a jacket on of the Saints. And I'm just so proud of the organization and, you know, just proud of where we've come from and, and how strong we've stayed with all the great players and the great management, you know, that we've had. So it's just a thrill, you know, to be a Saints fan and just, I mean, you know, just wear it every day with honor, and we just we just love it. Well, you're represented very well on Saturday as we're visiting with renowned trainer Dallas Stewart. All right, Dallas, c- compare and contrast for me uh, the visualization that you had before the race of how you think uh, you thought my, things might go and how it actually turned out. Well, you know, some people ask me, you know, you, you know, aren't you feeling excited? Aren't you feeling, you know, elation? I said, well, listen, this is all about winning right now. I'm not thinking about anything all week long, but training this horse and winning the race. That's what I'm all, you know, what I'm thinking about. And, you know, you kind of think about how it might play out, but you know, you have to have a lot of faith in your jockey. And the jockeys, the jockey, Sean Bridgemahan, had already won on the horse. So I had a lot of confidence in him. And, uh, you know, we just kind of talked about staying out of trouble. We were on the outside. We had the 17, you know, don't get mumble jumbled up uh, down inside and, like I told him, I said, when you're approaching the quarter pole to the eighth pole, there should be a lot of horses getting tired. So don't get trapped down in there, because if you get trapped down in there behind tiring horses, then you're not going to be able to finish the race out. So that was just one point that I wanted to, to tell him, and then just let him ride the horse from there. There's so much pomp and circumstance surrounding the Kentucky Derby, Dallas. Take me through that walk from the stables to the paddock, you know, the one where it seems like that everybody's family and friends have surrounded them yeah. to make that walk. What's that like for you? Well, I've done it quite a few times, you know, working for Lucas, and I've done it four times for myself. And, you know, it can get you caught up a little bit. It can kind of, you know, make you think. You see all those people standing up there. These people have traveled from all over the world to come see this doggone horse race, you know. And, and here we are. We're right in the center of it. And, uh, you know, at that point I'm still, you know, praying to God that, you know, probably like Sean Payton, he's just hoping nobody gets hurt running out of the tunnel, you know. And uh, I just want to get him over there and get the saddle on him and uh, get him out on the track and let's let's get the job done. So it's, it's a lot of fun, but, uh, you know, you got to just continue to concentrate and uh, and get over there, and, and, and it's a safety thing, too. Just get over there safe. Who's more intimidated by a crowd of 100,000, the horses or the people? Actually, the horses, uh, for some reason, they – usually behave pretty doggone good. Um, I don't know. I mean, I thought they were all well-behaved walking over, well-behaved in the paddock, and uh, it's it's quite remarkable that, that that they behave like that. So I'd have to give the horses a checkup on that. <laughs> you were the third longest shot in the field, uh, Dallas, to finish second. Is that 
Does that uh, compare that to, for me to something? Give me an idea. Well, first of all, I'm not a really good handicapper because I think everybody made money gambling on the horse but me. I bet him on top of everybody because I thought he would win. And all of my friends, they betting, you know, in the exactas and the trifectas. I mean, I had friends make 10000 My hairdresser made 2000 My doctors made 10000 And I didn't make any money gambling. So, <laughs> you know, as far as the odds, the odds doesn't really affect me as far as training-wise. But uh, all my friends and everything, they love it when I'm long odds. The uh, the the idea of being feet away from the winner's circle for the second year in a row. Do you find yourself having more disappointment or more excitement with that kind of a finish? I think I was a little more excited last year. Now I'm just like, man, I want to get this done so bad. And, you know, this opportunity, you know, like the Super Bowl, only comes one, once a year. So, um, you know, you, you take a step back and you're very humble and appreciative for the opportunity. Uh, but in the same, you know, the, the very next thought, you're like, man, now we got 363 days to find out how to win this. So that's where we're at. Take right me now. to the <laughs> right. And there are two more jewels to the Triple Crown. Is Commanding Curve going to participate in in the Preakness and the Belmont? Well, we haven't announced it yet, but I think that we're pretty close to uh, coming to an announcement and, and t- coming to an agreement that we're going to shoot for the Belmont. You know, just because we think it's you know, the right move for our horse, that the Preakness is kind of a speed bias type racetrack, uh, the uh, Pimlico, and, uh, you know, we just want to make a nice lengthy career on the other hand of it, you know. So running back in two weeks is really a hard, hard uh, task to, to make for a horse. Given said, California Chrome will probably come back and be dominant in the field, I would think. So we, we, we think we would just meet him up in the Belmont. Or whoever can Chrome can Chrome win the whole thing? Not if I can help it at the Belmont. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think you might have something to say about it. And, and the so. reason the reason Dallas you like the Belmont is because it's the longer run, mile and a half. Yeah, yeah, and there's more timing. Like there's five weeks, so that way we don't have to rush back. The Preakness is two weeks from from Saturday, so it's back quick, and it's very very tough on horses, in my opinion. The one thing that I did take away kind of underlying from the weekend was everybody was making it out to be how it was this wild story re- regarding California Chrome and, and, and how little money went into the breeding process and everything else. Dallas, I think that most people, when they hear that, I think they're deceived and maybe they don't co- fully understand the investment that goes into trying to, to bring a horse to that elite level of the sport. Well, you know, what they're saying is that, you know, they bought the the, the mayor, uh, you know, I think they got her cheap, and then they just bred her, and this is the great fold that they came out with. But, you know, given said that, there's a lot of expense, as you say, to go into it. And, you know, it's not free It's not free to run in these big races. I think it costs mm, upwards of fifty to 60000 for the entry fees for these big races. So there's uh, there's some money that you have to throw down to get in them and, uh, you know, have to hope you can make it back. But given said, but if you have never experienced the thrill, and the victory of a horse race, no matter if it's a derby or whatever, I mean, it can just really like, man. So, so. Dallas, before I let you go, take me through the next couple of weeks here. You said you have, what, a little over a month to get ready for Belmont. Where does that training take place and what all is involved? Well, right now we're still so, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll just check the health of the horse. We'll uh, do some some jog, some jogging with him. We'll do some galloping with him, and we'll give him a couple of light breezes, you know, just to uh, to, uh, to continue to keep him uh, on tilt, and then just kind of fine tune it from there. Um, you know, it's hard to say, uh, you know, how much how much training we're going to put into him between now and then, but we'll just have to monitor him, and we monitor his weight and everything. They can't talk like people, so you know you have to to the way their appetite, all the way that their their energy and everything, their 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 the, you know the, everything that goes along with horse training. So we'll, we'll be paying attention, and I think we'll we'll be tough. Well, Dallas, congratulations again. Keep wearing that black and gold and uh, representing uh-huh. New Orleans, and we're going to be pulling for you there in New York. All right, sounds good. And y'all, uh, get we'll get some we'll get some pictures with some Saints gear on from from my crew because actually the groom. He's from New Orleans also, and he's uh, he's a big-time Saints fan, too. So we're all tied in there. 
Send them our way. Thanks a lot, Dallas. I appreciate it. Good luck. Thank you, my friend. You bet. Dallas Stewart, renowned trainer, as again, he finishes second of the Kentucky Derby for the second straight year. They're off to the Belmont, it looks like. More coming uh, on the uh, heels of a, perhaps an announcement here in the coming days. We'll be back on Black and Blue Report with a lot more today after this. Hey there, what you having? Um, what kind of specials do you have today? Well, tonight we're doing $2 benzene and tonics, $4 lemon arsenics, and $5 beryllium bombs. Wait, what? Those don't sound like drinks. They sound like types of poison. Well, it's a fine line. Besides, this is a smoky bar. What do you think we're all breathing in right now? Uh, I don't know. Nicotine? Listen, I'm gonna hook you up. You're not really living until you've had a formaldehyde martini. Yeah, I'm going home. Secondhand smoke does more than just stink. It costs Louisiana thousands of lives and contains dozens of harmful chemicals that lead to things like emphysema, heart disease, and lung cancer. Learn what's being done to protect all Louisianans in bars and gaming facilities at letsbetotallyclear.org. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. Here's Sean Kelly. Round two of the NBA playoffs begins tonight with two more ball games on tap for us as we'll see Washington at Indiana tonight and the Clippers at Oklahoma City. Going to be hard to top what we watched in the first round. And with that, Joel Myers of the Pelicans, Fox Sports New Orleans, and TNT joins us in Studio B here on this Monday edition of the Black and Blue Report. Joel, welcome back. Boy, you've been bouncing all over the country, haven't you? Yeah, it's been entertaining. I mean, have we ever seen a first round like this, Sean? Phenomenal. I mean, no. Five game sevens on Saturday and Sunday. Pretty incredible. And, and, and the crowds and the spirit and the attention, I just the level of play was fantastic. What were, what were your biggest takeaways, Joel, from the first round? Well, it was fun to see what happens in Toronto. Uh, the 20,000 people inside, maybe more than 20,000 people outside, those people are starving because the Leafs haven't given them anything since the 60s, and I'm talking about Stanley Cup. So it's fun to see how uh, franchises can grow. And all of a sudden, there's excitement generated, and you watch what potentially could happen. And with that said, what could potentially happen for all of us here in New Orleans going to the playoffs next year? Because we know how loyal and how passionate these people are. We've all seen it firsthand with the Saints. So if the Pelicans can get to the playoffs next year, that's the exciting part of it all. What happened in Toronto? I don't think there's any question it could happen here in Champion Square the same way outside of the building. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that, Joel. Based on what we saw, what, a couple of years ago when the Pelicans made that run in the uh, semifinal round, right. uh, this town loves a winner. And it seems like, as I take away from the first round of, the, of these NBA playoffs, our game right now, Joel, is has its best suit on, other than the uh, debacle in Los Angeles, has its best suit on, and the atmosphere, or excuse me, the play on the floor is matching the electricity and atmosphere found in the crowds. Yeah, nobody has uh, ever seen anything like this. And, and it's funny how things have worked. The, the playoff ratings are way up, and with good reason, because of the excitement, the the energy in the buildings at every possession. You know, we talk about postseason baseball, where pitch by pitch it means so much, and people are into it, and and the whole you know stadium, will, like 45,000 in a ballpark, will go quiet waiting for the next pitch. Well, it seemed that way with every possession because that's how critical they were in the postseason. Every game was that way. Uh, there were very few. Game two of the Clippers-Warriors, and then unfortunately game seven of the Mavericks-Spurs, but otherwise it was hard to believe down the stretch of these games. No doubt. So we're down to eight now. Washington, Indiana, Clippers, Oklahoma City, Brooklyn, Miami, Portland, San Antonio. Out of those eight, Joel, any of those eight surprise you, or was there somebody in the first round that should have been in the second round that is not? No. Not, uh, Houston, Portland was a toss-up, which it should have been. They had identical regular season records with 54 wins. They were the four and five seeds. So it's not a surprise that that would go to a shot like Damian Lillard to uh, vault uh, Portland into the position they're in. Uh, it's going to be a difficult proposition for them uh, stopping San Antonio, though, because they're not a very good defensive team. Uh, the, the, out front, Damian Lillard, he'll have issues defensively staying in front of Tony Parker. Uh, the one series I think is going to be interesting for a lot of people, and there are a couple, but Washington, Indiana. 
and don't discount what Washington did in the first round against Chicago. An offensively challenged Indiana team now, very similar to Chicago, is going to have their problems with Washington. Washington's got a lot of scores. And when you have the backcourt they have, which can rival the backcourt that's been together a little bit longer, and the Splash Brothers over in Golden State where Curry and Clay Thompson have done so well, well, Beal and Wall are going to be their equivalent. Give them a couple more years over in the Eastern Conference. It's that good. Then you bring Webster off the bench, a guy that can fill it up. Trevor Ariza is having a career year, a contract year for him. And Nene is healthy finally and playing at a hard-to-believe level as well. The other series, I want to see if Brooklyn holds up. Everybody wanted Brooklyn because of the matchup with Miami, and they swept Miami during the regular season. In fact, and we know preseason doesn't mean a thing except for psychological reasons. They won both preseason games against Miami. So all six this year, this basketball season, they have beaten Miami. And Miami is not the deepest team in the world. So let's see how Miami holds up in their matchup with Brooklyn because Brooklyn's going to talk a lot of trash. They've got a lot of veterans. They're going to try to get into the head of Miami as well. So we'll see Garnett in somebody's face in game one. There's no doubt about that. Paul Pierce the same way. Uh, There's some good matchups in the first round. Looking forward to it. And I said the first round, but good matchups in the second round, obviously. Exactly, exactly. And I've only called games one time in the second round. But one thing that did strike me in the second round of the playoffs when I was in a day-to-day was coaching sure does matter. And while the superstars are going to make their mark, Joel, team play seems to be the supreme thing in the second round. Well, that's why the San Antonio Spurs, who led the league in assists. And Greg Popovich said in a meeting to me uh, last week, he, he goes because they weren't moving the ball like they normally do, and you brought up team play. He's quoting Popovich. He said, we can't be a two-on-two team. We're not that type. Because if I had Westbrook and Durant, yeah, I could be a two-on-two team. But we're a five-on-five team, and we can't lose sight of that. The ball has to move. It's got to swing. Bodies have to move after they get rid of the basketball. So that's why it may be difficult for Portland in their matchup with San Antonio. Uh It'll be a lot of fun, though. There's no question about that. And, and then don't forget about the, uh, the Clippers moving on against Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, in my estimation, has the edge the, for matchup purposes. Let's see if Russell Westbrook, though, is a facilitator. Uh, because we've been talking about it for the last two or three years, is he going to get it? He's the alpha dog. He's phenomenal for what they do. But when he gets other people on that squad involved, they are a championship caliber team. They can go to the NBA Finals. If Russell Westbrook sees his role as a guy that gets others involved, he could have a triple-double every night like we saw in their deciding game. All right, you want to pick the Final Four? Do you dare? Uh, no, I don't. But I, I do like Oklahoma City <laughs> uh, and San Antonio out of the West. I don't think there's any, right, any doubt about that. I think Washington should beat Indiana. Uh, they've got a lot of momentum. Maybe they'll be a little bit inundated over the first. If all they have to do is win one of the first two, not both, like they did in Chicago, <laughs> mm-hmm. but one of the first two, and uh, they'll be in good shape. Uh, Washington should be able to beat Indiana. Indiana still has some serious issues. We don't know because we don't live with them or not in the locker room, but they've still got issues, and offensively they are still challenged. I mean, the game they beat Atlanta. Uh, to force uh, game six at Atlanta to force game seven. They had three guys with 20 or more. Stevenson had 21. uh, George had 24. David West had 24. And they barely won the game. So they still have issues offensively. George Hill is going to have to play out of his mind for them to have a really good series uh, against Washington. And and then the toss-up series is Brooklyn and Miami. Miami will probably prevail in the long run, but – It'd be interesting to see if Brooklyn could come away with it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I still want to take Miami in that. I really do. Even though Brooklyn won those games in the regular season series, I still I still like Miami, and I still don't think that the the layoff here, the rest that Miami's had, hurts them. I think it only helps them. No, and, and it's like a fighter in a 12-round fight. If you take a lot of body blows in the first six, seven rounds, you, somebody softens you up for the next guy. And that's the mm-hmm. case with the Western Conference right now. It's really unfortunate. It is so top-heavy that when you look at the final four teams of the Western Conference, any one of them would be a very good representative against anybody right now, including Miami, in the from the Eastern Conference to the NBA Finals. So it, it's tough because the Western Conference is that good. So any one of those four teams would be a nice matchup against Miami. 
Oklahoma City and San Antonio would be much better, though. Absolutely. Joe Myers with us here on the Black and Blue Report. Hey, Joe, I've got you two other off-the-floor pieces of news uh, today that I want to throw your way. Number one, of course, uh, growing uh, growing noise in the Bay Area about Mark Jackson and the future with him in Golden State. Are, is he in trouble in your eyes, or is that overblown? I, I, you would hope he isn't. They, I mean, they're back-to-back playoffs, and prior to that, they were once in the previous 17 years. So you would hope that – and they got to the second round, and they were a game away from getting to the second round again, and it went down to the wire in a 126-121 loss yesterday against the Clippers. So you wouldn't – for continuity and consistency, and, and you've heard what Steph Curry and Clay Thompson have said, and everybody in that locker room, the respect that they have for their head coach, you would hope he's not in trouble. What does it take? And, and are, are we realistic in expectations anymore, especially when it comes to teams of the Western Conference? So you would hope that he's back. It's a contract year, and it's their option to pick up, very similar to Kevin McHale. And, and the sources reported yesterday that Kevin McHale is going to be back with Houston Rockets, which is a good thing because they just got Dwight Howard. And, and who better to coach a big man like Dwight Howard than Kevin McHale? with Hakeem Olajuwon finally on the staff there and helping it out. So, but back to Mark Jackson, I hope he's not in trouble. Their their priorities are a little messed up in the Bay Area if he is in trouble. Interesting. Nine head coaching vacancies last year. Let's hope we don't get to that number this year. All right, uh, later today, uh, Michael Carter-Williams will be named Rookie of the Year for this NBA season. Are you okay with that? Did you have somebody else in your ballot? No, I had Oladipo first and then Michael Carter-Williams. I just felt that Oladipo was a complete player at both ends of the floor, much more so than Michael Carter-Williams. Michael Carter-Williams was way ahead of Oladipo at the offensive end. But the balance between the two, I thought it was Oladipo slightly. Michael Carter-Williams, though, for a big guard uh, and the 11th overall pick, talk about a value pick for Philadelphia, they got a real good one for many years to come. But we're all transparent. And you can look at all my votes. I voted for Greg Popovich. You can look at my first, second, and third team All-NBA guys. So I voted for Joakim Noah as the Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, Anthony Davis, you can see it online. I voted for Anthony Davis as most improved. Uh, Who did I put in there for uh, sixth man of the year? I'm trying to think. I think I put Jamal Crawford. I put Taj Gibson in there as most improved. DeMar DeRozan was one of my most improved guys as well, I believe. It's starting to run together because it's been a while. I think we put him in about a month ago. Uh, but I did vote for those two top two. I Oladipo, I had a Michael Carter-Williams. I had those two guys in my top three. I also had Trey Burke in there as well uh, from Utah. I really think that long-term he's going to be a special player. What does it say, or what did, What was your takeaway from this year's rookie class um, with uh, Carter-Williams obviously leading the way here? Well, there weren't that many impact guys, but the, the kid in Charlotte uh, I like, uh, uh, that Zeller, the younger of the two Zellers, mm-hmm. And then uh, up in Brooklyn, Plumley, I've never seen a big run baseline to baseline as fast as Plumley, And that's Mason, if I'm not mistaken. It's Miles who's in Phoenix, right? Correct. So Mason with Brooklyn, Mason Plumley, watch him off the ball and watch him run back to get back for defensive purposes. He is unbelievably fast. I was surprised when I watched playoff games how quickly he got back in defensive transition, he is super fast. He's faster than most forwards, let alone centers. So they've got a keeper. Plumley's a really nice rookie. Yeah, I'd like to see him and Davis in a foot race. That'd be pretty special right there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, their stride, and, and they maximize what they do. Uh, and there are certain big guys that, you know, and we could talk about it another time. They ought to go see uh, Michael Johnson, the gold medalist, who's got a performance training center in Dallas and helps people maximize what they do with the way they run. He works with a lot of NFL guys right now, in fact. Joel Myers loves the ponies. Uh, Joel, you'll be happy to know you're on the same show today as trainer Dallas Stewart, who wow. finished second at the Kentucky Derby on wow. Saturday. Yeah, a yes. good horse from the fairgrounds. Yes. Yeah, that, 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 without a doubt. What a great day. And uh, I should have had the exacta because I love California Chrome. So it should have had the exacta, which paid, what, about 330 340 something like that? Yes, it did. Thank you. Yes, uh, it did. Yeah, it's, hindsight's perfect in horse racing. But I was happy for the California Chrome Connections, although for those that are into horse racing, read the Washington Post yesterday and Andrew Byers' column, who does the uh, put together the uh, speed rating a long time ago. And Andrew Byers got a really interesting column on the race and this crop, this current edition of three-year-olds. 
and how a exactly. Philly on Friday who won the Oaks could be the best of the bunch. Interesting. Yeah, I love Interesting. it. I love I love the horse teams, racing. Right? Yeah, oh, I know you do. I know you do. Hey, thanks for stopping by. Good stuff, and enjoy the second round, okay? Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, John. Me too. Joel Myers with us here on the Black and Blue Report. We'll be right back. Okay, you've just been told you have a serious heart issue. Congestive heart failure, a valve problem, a complex rhythm disorder. Now what? At Auctioner, we suggest you take a moment and do some research. When you do, you'll find Auctioner Medical Center has the only heart program in the region ranked among the nation's best by U.S. News & World Report. We routinely treat the most complex cases with revolutionary procedures such as surgical and non-surgical valve replacements and the total artificial heart. And we have the largest, most comprehensive program for treating arrhythmias in the Gulf South, offering options not available elsewhere in the region. At the end of the day, the most important thing to hear is... I just saw your test results, and they look great. No problems. Leading Edge Care. Just one more reason to choose an Auctioner-affiliated physician. For an appointment, visit auctioner.org or call 1-866-AUCTIONER. That's O-C-H-S-N-E-R. Auctioner. Healthcare with peace of mind. Want to listen to the Black and Blue Report on your phone? Download the Saints and Pelicans app today. Welcome back to the show. So far today, we've covered horse racing. Of course, we're in New Orleans angle with trainer Dallas Stewart. We've checked in on the NBA's second round of playoff action that begins tonight with Joel Myers. And now we'll turn our attention back to the NFL draft. And a team that we have yet to talk about are the Kansas City Chiefs and one of the best play-by-play men in the NFL. The voice of the Chiefs, Mitch Holtis, joins us here on the Black and Blue Report to help us Know all things Chiefs. Good morning. How are things in the kingdom, Mitch? The kingdom is actually rejuvenated. Uh, Andy Reid came in to reclamate the place, and it's it's going well with he and John Dorsey. So, yes, the kingdom is alive and well, and all engines are full ahead. And I think that's good for the NFL, and I'm hoping that uh, the offseason has proved fruitful so far for Kansas City. Help me understand, Mitch, what the Chiefs were looking to do and what they did with the free agency period. Well, they were they were in a different mode as, uh, than they were a year ago, uh, Sean. In the fact that they had a little, a lot less cap room, and last year they were somewhat aggressive. And of course, made the Alex Smith trade, and and this year not as much maneuvering. In fact, the outside in look approach is why they lost some guys. Lost Brandon Albert to free agency to Miami, the starting left tackle on offense. They lost Dexter McCluster, uh, return guy, slot receiver, uh, to Tennessee. And so the impression is that they, they lost a lot. They were able to advance Walker, a defensive lineman from Oakland. He'll help. Uh, they got Joe Mays from uh, Houston, who's been around, but was with, uh, and he could be the starting Mike Backer because they did lose Akeem Jordan to Washington. So overall, I think people are saying, wait a minute, they lost some ground in free agency, but there's a plan here. But that plan also had included managing the salary cap. Six picks this week in the NFL draft. Based on what you just spoke of, Mitch, what needs to be done here with the Chiefs' picks starting with number 23 in round one? Well, let's talk overall philosophy first, and and it's something Mm -hmm. where I'm excited about it. And with John Dorsey in place as general manager and working hand-in-hand with Andy Reid, there's a lot of Packer pedigree with those guys. In fact, that's where they became acquainted when Mike Holmgren had that great staff in the 90s with the Packers. And so the Chiefs really can kind of uh, say, oh, the Packers are the AFC, at least right now in, in philosophy. And the reason I say that is the Packers have been one of the more astute teams in making and hitting draft picks in all of the rounds, really over the past five to seven to 10 years. Of course, they hit with Aaron Rodgers. But I say that because with the six picks, there's no time in the last 10 years the Packers had uh, any less than six picks, and only one time they had six. Always had more in that seven, eight, or nine range. So it's not out of the realm of possibility the team could trade down, try to find a trade partner. I mean, you guys are sitting right behind them, but you don't have an early second-round pick. Uh, but that that could happen. But otherwise, I think they need to get, find the two-for-one guy if they stay at 23. And the reason I say two-for-one is they need a receiver that can attack the second and third level of the defense, be a consistent route runner. Alex Smith is incredibly accurate. But they've got to stretch the defense with a consistent receiver with speed. But that same person needs to be a punt returner. 
Losing Dexter McCluster had an 89-yard punt return, which tipped the New York Giant game in late September in the Chiefs' favor. They've got to find a guy who can make that play in week one when they run on the field against Tennessee. So if you find me the two-for-one guy at 23 that can play receiver or corner and be an instant return guy, then you've hit the jackpot if you're the Chiefs. Odell Beckham would fit that mold, but do you think, Mitch, that he'd be sitting there still at 23, and does that play into your trading up mentality? I don't. Uh, I don't think, first of all, he'll be sitting there at 23, and yes, he's the, he's the prototype of what I just described in this draft. There's some others, though. Sean Brandon Cooks comes to mind, the uh, player out of Oregon State. He's not as accomplished as, as uh, Odell, but he does kind of fit that role. And there's some even later-round guys that you could possibly slide in there or give him a shot. I just don't look for this team to trade up. There's just not a lot of equity for them with only having six picks and setting at 23. It would be maybe a little too expensive to trade up unless they get really creative. If they're trading, I could see them more trading down and get an extra pick in the second or third round because I know your research has probably looked like mine or the prevailing thought is this is an extremely deep, deep draft. And you may get a receiver or a DB in the second or third round it's pretty close to the caliber of the guy that you would pick at 23. But, again, the Chiefs need a two-for-one guy. I've talked to so many people covering the different teams around the league, and, Mitch, you've been doing this a long time. We've seen some craziness in the NFL draft with regard to trades and whatnot in recent years. And, and so many of the folks that I've talked to all say that receiver is at the top of many teams' list. And while that matches a deep position in this draft class, does that make for a wild Thursday and Friday in the NFL draft? I think it could. I think we're going to see a lot of trading. And to me, it depends on where there is. You know, there's a prevailing thought of the wide receivers, as you alluded to, where there's not a prevailing thought is a consensus of opinion, let's say, on the quarterback position. There are teams that want are starting over with new regimes that would love to hit with the quarterback. But the value on, let's say, a guy like Johnny Manziel or Blake Bortles is, varies. So if some team early either values those guys or doesn't, and takes one, you could start to see a run on quarterbacks uh, early in the draft, which or could create some cra- uh, trading situations for people that don't have that need but necessarily want some other picks, Chiefs being one of them. So uh, to me, I think there's those are the wild card. If the quarterbacks start flying off the board or Manziel goes early, then <laughs> it could be the Oklahoma land chase. Uh, I, do, I just – I anticipate a lot of trades, a lot of complicated trades, and a lot of creativity with this draft because of its depth. Yep, no doubt. Mitch Holt is with us here on the Black and Blue Report. Mitch, when you look at the the step that the Chiefs took, and you alluded to that at the start of our visit here, finishing the season, I think, at 11-5, and five, um, when you look at what can happen in this draft and the philosophy that you spoke of, how close are the Chiefs to taking that very hard next step after the improvement they made in the last season? Well, you use the right adjective when you use hard because they will have just a brutal schedule next year. No team in the league has a tougher opening six weeks uh, than the Kansas City Chiefs. They get Tennessee at home and Arrowhead, and you, you know what Arrowhead's all about. It's such a fantastic environment and a great home field advantage. But then you have to go to Denver. You're going to play at Miami. Then you're home uh, with on a Monday night game against the New England Patriots. Then you have to go to San Francisco and to San Diego. In the first six weeks, this team is going to face Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, and some other really good teams, including San Francisco. So you've got to get in survival mode uh, in that first six weeks for seven weeks of the season because a bye week's thrown in there. But Andy Reid is outstanding. Andy Reid has made an impact here, much like Sean Payton has made with the New Orleans Saints. He just brings an aura about him and – I liken it to the first Arrowhead, I'm sorry, the first Anchorman movie uh, when Will Ferrell, Anchorman, blows the conscience like news team assemble. It wasn't only getting Andy Reid in here, who is a bright, great, innovative mind offensively, much like Coach Payton, but it brings Andy Nuss and the players that want to be here. Dave Tobes, the best special teams coach in the league, in my opinion. David Culley, Doug Peterson, the former Louisiana Monroe quarterback. Uh, you're bringing in Brad Childress is here. I mean, it's it's the best coaching staff the Chiefs have had in 25 years. So if you're going to take on a rough schedule and take the next hard step, uh, and you, to answer your question, it would be being more consistent and having more explosive plays on offense 
in preventing the explosive play on defense, which is hard to do when you play those uber quarterbacks. But the Chiefs were good in the first nine weeks defensively, attacking quarterbacks. They led the league in sacks. The last seven weeks of the year, they were number one in the NFL in a a category you do not want to have, and that is plays of 20 yards or more allowed. And they played those uber quarterbacks that didn't go so well. They only lost six games last year, Sean. They lost twice to Peyton Manning, twice to Phillip Rivers, and twice to Andrew Luck. That's it. The next hard step is winning some of those games against those quarterbacks. No doubt. i, I got to tell you, Mitch, I'm sure glad the Chiefs aren't on the same schedule this season because I really like the way that Kansas City's going. They're going to be really tough. Unfortunately, they're in that tough division right now out in the AFC West. My goodness. Yeah, it is. And, it's, uh, it, and then the cross-pollination schedule this year is against the NFC West. So later on in the schedule, Seattle comes to Arrowhead Stadium. A sneaky good Arizona team is there, and then the St. Louis Rams are there, and, and Jeff's going to have them in a tough position. So that's the, that's the division you're crossing against in the NFC. It won't be easy. And then the uh, two scheduled up games are at Pittsburgh and Tennessee at home. So a much diff- more difficult schedule than last year. But Andy Reid's sitting here, and he's undaunted. He just keeps pressing forward. He doesn't care. I mean, you go 14 years in Philadelphia and win six divisions and five go to five NFC championship games, he's just ready to take on all comers. Again, the parallels between him and, him and Sean Payton, I think, are very real. And the fact that one guy can have a huge impact in the whole organization, and at least in the Chiefs' kingdom here, and, of course, with that great Saints following and where you're at. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I think you hit it right on the head. Boy, leadership does make a difference, and coaching does matter at this level. There's the, there's a, there's not a question in my mind about that. Mitch, I hope you have a great rest of your off season. I know you'll be busy this week. A real treat to have you on the show. I appreciate it. Well, I love the fact we got to come down there last year in, in the preseason. It was great to see you and, and a bunch of friends. And, and, again, just the admiration I've seen with the Saints now being consistently right, right there. I've always admired Drew Brees ever since he was, you know, Purdue quarterback and before that, his days in high school football in Texas. But there's just a lot to like about the Saints. But I would tell Saints fans there's a lot to like about the Kansas City Chiefs right now. There are some parallels. Good sell and good parallel. You're right about that. Mitch Holt is voice of the Kansas City Chiefs with us here on the Black and Blue Report. We'll wrap up our series with Seattle and Jerry Brewer, columnist for the Seattle Times, in just a moment. We're back in Studio B right after this. As one Entergy customer to another, I have a tip for you. Download the free Entergy app. If my power goes out, I check the app. The outage maps let me know what's happening and when to expect my lights back on. It also makes it easy to pay my bill and manage my account, all right from my smartphone. Download the app today or visit EntergyApp.com for more information. Giving me control in the palm of my hand? That's the power of people. Entergy. SiriusXM subscribers now have a place to talk NBA 24-7. SiriusXM NBA Radio. To the lane, lays it up, he lays it up! With experts like Steve Kerr, Kenny Smith, Lionel Holland, Sam Mitchell, Jerry Stackhouse, and many more. Plus, guest appearances by NBA players, coaches, and GMs. Get closer to this. LeBron to the rim with a two-hand jam. And this. Direct, fades and fires the Rainbow 18-foot jumper is a thing of beauty. By listening to SiriusXM NBA Radio. Channel 217. And the SiriusXM app. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Report. All right, back here on the Black and Blue Report, we've reached the final uh, spot of our NFL Draft Preview Series. That's because here we are with the Seattle Seahawks at selection number 32 at the end of the first round, the uh, defending Super Bowl champs, and covering them for us up in the Northwest is the columnist for the Seattle Times, Jerry Brewer. Jerry, good morning. I hope things are well out west. Uh, good morning. It's a beautiful day out here. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, so from 30,000 feet, Jerry, one would look at the Seahawks right now and our conversation and go, well, what possibly could they need at this point? What have they, <laughs> tried, what have they tried to do here in the offseason? Give me the notable storylines thus far. Uh, most of the storylines are about loss. Uh, Golden Tate goes to the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. They cut both of their defensive ends, Chris Clemens and Red Bryant. Uh, they've lost a lot of uh, backups, and uh, they also lost right tackle Breno Giacomini. But one thing to remember about the Seahawks, they had the deepest 53-man roster in the NFL. So they're going to use some of that depth. Uh, a lot of young players that they have are going to need to step up. 
But in terms of the draft, uh, they need some help at wide receiver to replace Golden Tate. Uh, they need to be mindful of their situation at the, at the defensive line. They don't want to get that too expensive. So a nice end or tackle would be very good for them. And uh, then it's kind of just best player available. Uh, you always need to increase your talent. This is a team that likes to use its entire roster, so they're looking for a unique players who can step in, play a small role, and still have an impact. Jerry, um, is there anything you can read from uh, past drafts or personnel moves from this group that would that would may translate into this next week's uh, proceedings? Uh, the one thing you can read into from past drafts is that they are as crazy as it gets, as unpredictable as it gets. Uh, as soon as you think you have them figured out, they'll do something uh, exactly the opposite. Um, one thing you know, though, uh, despite their unpredictability, uh, John Schneider, the general manager, has had a good run at the draft. He's been able to put together impressive rosters. So uh, the typical Seahawk is a guy who really loves football. Um, the measurables, the, the, the sort of explosion, uh, there, there's a certain speed element to it, uh, a certain physicality that they bring. And they're normally kind of an underrated guy. Uh, so you kind of look at people in, in college football like a Richard Sherman or like a Doug Baldwin or like a Cam Chancellor, all these guys who are good players, um, a little bit underrated, uh, a little bit overlooked, and they're mad as hell about it. And, and that's kind of how you have to dissect things for these guys. But uh, they, they're the kind of team that could take a – take a running back in the first round, even though they already have Marshawn Lynch and even though they drafted a running back last year, they're going to go strictly by their evaluation, strictly by their board, and their belief is make the entire team as talented as it possibly can be, regardless of position, and they can win off of that. Is that is that the Pete Carroll influence, that, that, that aspect of it, I guess? Uh, absolutely. I mean, his, his number one mantra is always compete. And he wants to have he wants to push everyone on this roster, and they I believe they're they're the best practicing team I've ever seen in any sport. Uh, they really do bring it every day, and and a lot of that is because their third string is pushing not only the second string but trying to get in there and get reps with the first string. And he's open to anything, so uh, that's why you feel healthy about these guys. Uh, you know, most Super Bowl teams that have the kind of loss that they've had. You start to worry about them, but when you really break down the Seahawks, the only player that they lost that they absolutely wanted to keep was Golden Tate. Um, some of the other losses, Breno Giacomini, the right tackle, uh, and then cutting Chris Clemens and Red Bryant, these were all moves that they wanted to make to manage the salary cap. So uh, they're not as far off as it may appear on paper. But they got to have a good draft. Mm -hmm. Jerry Brewer with the Seattle Times with us. Uh, Jerry, one more thing. You, you're, you're, you're discussing here the personnel aspect of becoming um, a repeater at the, uh, at the Super Bowl, and we know how difficult it is in this day and age of the NFL. Uh, it seems, though, that on the mental side, Jerry, every defending Super Bowl champ has tried to come up with a secret formula in order to keep guys mentally uh, ready to go and try and do it all over again. Has there been anything that the Seahawks have talked about or that you're able to uh, surmise about how they may go about this process? Yeah, basically don't change. Uh, Pete Carroll's entire thing with, with even playing in their first Super Bowl was the way we prepare every day has prepared us for this moment. We don't have to rise to the occasion. We don't have to do anything special. That's the exact same approach they're going to have in trying to win it the second time around. Now, beneath that, though, it's very clear that uh, as they get into this period where they're extending some of the players that they drafted or extending some of the players like a Michael Bennett, uh, who was on uh, kind of a prove-it contract, a one-year deal, uh, it's very clear that the players that they commit to, Michael Bennett, Earl Thomas just signed an extension, making him the highest-paid free safety in the history of the game, if you look at it in terms of uh, uh, average salary per year. The guys they commit to uh, – Russell Wilson is coming up. Richard Sherman uh, could get redone here in a number of weeks. They have to play at like at a superstar level um, because you can only keep probably seven or eight of those guys and pay them that kind of money. And so uh, they they're used to being a team that has 
such balance that they don't have to be heavily dependent on one guy. Now that's going to change a little bit. Uh, they won't be the same team if Earl Thomas doesn't take another step forward, as good as he is, or Richard Sherman or, or, or Marshawn Lynch or Russell Wilson. So that, that, that's the big thing, kind of subtly. Uh, those guys are going to have to carry a little more weight because they're not going to have the depth that they want to have because of the NFL salary cap. Great point, great point. Jerry, thanks again for joining us here during what is uh, so little left of the offseason, and I know you're ramping up for the draft next week. Otherwise, I wish you uh, a wonderful spring and summer in Seattle. Uh, thank you. My pleasure. All right, Jerry Brewer with his com- columnist for the Seattle Times, and that'll put a wrap on our NFL Draft Preview Series. And that'll be a wrap on today's Black and Blue Report, a very busy one here on this Monday from Studio B in New Orleans. Our thanks again to Jerry Brewer, Joel Myers, Mitch Holtis, and Dallas Stewart, Daniel Salerson, too, for being a part of a very good Monday program. Great start to draft week, don't you think? And speaking of the NFL draft, John DeShazer will be with us tomorrow. He'll preview the black and gold week here uh, at uh, Airline Drive. So we're looking forward to Mickey Loomis on Wednesday. And then again, don't forget Thursday night, our special four-hour draft coverage on NewOrleansSaints.com. We're going to be that place uh, that takes you through the deepest parts of the Saints and their picks and how other picks are impacting the black and gold in round one on Thursday. Hope you'll join us for that. We've got lots planned for you. I know a lot of you will be watching on NFL Network or ESPN, but we'll be a great companion to that broadcast as we make it very specific to the Saints and the 2014 NFL Draft. So a lot more to come your way tomorrow and again on Wednesday and then again on Thursday night as we have that special black and blue report live streaming on NewOrleansSaints.com for four hours on Thursday night. Again, very busy Monday. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great rest of your day. And from Studio B in New Orleans, I'm Sean Kelly saying so long for just a while. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Black and Blue Report. If all goes well, we'll be back tomorrow. Tune in each weekday at 12 p.m. or at your convenience exclusively online at NewOrleansSaints.com and Pelicans.com. Follow your teams direct from the source. The Black and Blue Report.